Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I got a little sentimental this week when President Biden was sworn in as our 46th president. It, it actually brought me back to 12 years ago in 2009 when a mix of personal and national moments blended together to make for an unforgettable few days. On Martin Luther King Day 2009, I drove with Amsala to St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester. My brown-skinned child was on her way to receive medical care from who I regard as the best doctors in the world. Forty-five years earlier, that care would not have been accessible to her. She would have been regarded as a a second-class citizen and would have received second-class care accordingly. We've come a long way from those moments. Recent events remind us that we still have an awfully long ways to go. But I got to live that progress personally back in 2009. And the very next day, as a sign of how far we've come, President Barack Obama took the oath of office on Tuesday while Amsala slept under anesthesia and received a stent in her pulmonary artery. This past week, Vice President Biden became President Biden, the oldest person to take such an oath. He comes to power at an historic moment in our nation's history as we grapple with a gigantic public health crisis and a subsequent economic crisis. And there is this tiny little looming domestic terror threat, too. Now, time will bear out if President Biden is up to the task, but we're all counting on him and his team to do good and faithful work. And we pray it will be so. But wouldn't it be interesting if one one of President Biden's first acts was to appoint a team of uh, computer programmers and IT guys and gals to help lead us through this next phase of COVID-19 mitigation? He could be very poetic about that appointment. He could say, this group knocks out computer viruses 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now they'll join my team to fight the toughest virus we've seen in a hundred years. So how would you feel if our nation's public health crisis, economic challenges, domestic terror mess were all entrusted to a team of IT personnel? I mean, I guess part of me would have to admit how much worse could they do. (laughs) Uh, But most of me would be apprehensive. Now, I have a great deal of respect for computer programmers. They are great at keeping our computer networks going, and that's pretty darn important these days. But to be honest, that group of folks doesn't know really anything about dealing with actual human viruses. Right? Fighting the toughest virus we've seen in a hundred years. That's very poetic. But being good at deleting computer viruses does not make you terribly qualified to deal with the coronavirus. 
That's why the story of Jesus, as Mark tells it, is so surprising. Jesus has the most important message of all time to share, right? He was engaged in the most important project to ever be accomplished, right? And what does Jesus do? Well, let's read about it from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Mark writes, As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. So, here's Jesus, the incarnation of God's holy word, the presence of the living God among people, and he's about to announce that the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is right around the corner and recruit people to help him usher it in. And where does he go? Galilee. To Galilee, right? Galilee was a far off place in Israel, about as far away from the power center of the culture as you could get. It was an unimportant region in an unimportant country and and as unimportant a place as you could go. There were no people of influence in Galilee. There were no people who were experts in their fields in Galilee, but that's where Jesus goes. And after he announces the arrival of God's kingdom, he sets out to choose followers to help him lead this spiritual revolution. But apparently Jesus has a different idea of who the best people would be for that job. I would choose people with a gift for speaking, those trained in the art of persuasion. I would choose people with gifts of preaching and teaching, those with great people skills. But Jesus chooses fishermen. He walks up to Simon and Andrew and a little later to James and John and says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Now let's be honest, that phrase, fish for people, makes a clever pun, but trust me, the skills needed for catching fish in no way make you qualified to be an evangelist. Fishermen are not noted for the gift of gab. Ask any fisherman what drives him nuts, and he'll tell you, or she'll tell you, it's being in a boat with someone who wants to talk. Furthermore, the skills of baiting and, and reeling don't make you a natural fisher of people. You can't dangle wax worms in front of people in order to get them in the boat. You can't walk up to a crowd and throw a net over them and, and drag them in to be part of worship. Right? Don't even try it. Right? It, it will not work. It might even land you in jail, for goodness sake. Fishermen are simply not qualified to help usher in God's kingdom. At least not from the world's perspective, right? And yet Jesus chooses these most unlikely people from the most unlikely of places to follow him. He chooses this motley crew along with a few other outcasts and weirdos to be his followers and then eventually 
his apostles, those sent into the world after his resurrection and ascension to proclaim his truth to the whole world. And you know what? I've read the story. I have to admit it. It turns out Jesus made some really good choices. Now, the disciples were not the most eloquent speakers. They they were not always the most intelligent students. They weren't even always the most faithful followers. But God worked through them to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into the whole world. Through their following, along with a, a huge dose of God's grace and faithfulness, God's kingdom was ushered in and continues to be ushered in. And the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ have impacted the entire globe. It turns out God can choose anyone he wants and fulfill his purposes through him or her. And friends, that is good news for you and me. We worship a God who chooses the most unlikely of people to be his people. His followers, his workers. Our Lord has a message of love and forgiveness. He has a message that we are not merely his servants, but his children. And you might expect that he would only call people his children who are super worthy and deserving of such an honor. You might expect that he would only forgive and love the really holy, the really super holy among us. You might expect that sinners like you and me, with all our shortcomings and selfishness and and unimportance would be left in the lurch. But no, God comes among us, unlikely people who live nowhere near the epicenter of the world and make us his very own. He showers us with love and care and promises us, us, that we are his very own and that nothing will separate us from his love. And then wonder of wonders, this very same God calls us into service in his name in the most unlikely places Right? In the world around us, full of terrific needs, God calls us to terrific work, even though we're not terrifically qualified. Some of you have been called to be caregivers for aging parents. A job you feel unready and unqualified to do. I can't even take care of myself, you say with a word of protest. But no matter, our Lord Jesus has called you. And all you can do is put down your net and follow. Some of you have been called to challenging jobs in your work. Made even more challenging these days in the midst of a global pandemic. I can't do it, you say. I'm not smart enough or skilled enough, right? I don't even, I don't know how to manage people. I don't know how to teach online. I don't, right? Fill in the blank of what you don't know what to do. No matter. Our Lord Jesus has called you. You might as well get out of the boat and follow. Some of you have been called to be parents, a job no one feels ready to do. I made a horrible mistake as as a young person, you might say. How am I supposed to teach my son or daughter to do the right thing when I don't even know how to do that myself? Or maybe some other protest, you mutter. No matter, right? God has called you to the work. Leave your cares and excuses behind and follow. Right? Some of you, well, I guess we all are children, but some of you are teenagers Called to live a life of responsibility and faithfulness among a a generation that seems to be setting those concerns aside. I'm the only one of my friends 
who's willing to say no to the pressures of this world, I don't think I can say no much longer, you say. And if I say to my friends, I'm a child of God, they'll laugh at me, right? No matter. God's called you to the task. Just trust in him and take one step at a time. As parents, grandparents, neighbors, friends, and more, we've been called to share our faith with others. Even more so, that our current circumstances demand that, us, that the center of our faith now be our homes. I can't do it. You say, I don't, I don't know the Bible well enough. Not even close. I don't, I don't speak well enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't. But no matter how much we protest, God is calling us to stand firm in our faith, in our status as children of God, and to share with others what our relationship with Jesus means for us. It's time to drop what we're doing and follow. Among us today are people who are facing the death of of a loved one. The call to pick up deep roots and and move. The call to marriage. the, The challenge of passing on faith to the next generation. And many more callings that our Lord unexplainably places on On us. Right? We were reminded last week by Pastor Megan that our call as brothers and sisters in Christ is to continue the work of racial justice. Sometimes by simply being willing to listen to the experience of someone else and examining our own privilege and bias. And we continue to be called to carry forward courageously in the face of this global pandemic, working to do the things that we can do to slow the spread of COVID-19, even if that means making some pretty big changes to our daily lives. Sometimes we barely feel called to do any of that, much less all of it. And we wonder, why, why on earth has God entrusted us with so much? You remember those parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom where, where the master leaves town and entrusts the, the business to his slaves? Jesus said God is like that, right? Now, no businessman or businesswoman worth his or her salt would ever do business that way. No president would run a country that way, but, but God does. God does crazy things, unlikely things like that all the time. With a simple ceremony involving water and a few spoken words, our God claims us as his own, promises us forgiveness and everlasting life, and puts us to work in his world. With a small piece of bread, right? God tells us that we become what we eat, the body of Christ, the body of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And and with that little morsel, Promises that our faith is fed and that we are strengthened for this journey and our work in the world. And in order to change that world, this God takes on flesh, climbs up on two beams of wood to die, and then calls each of us to share that wild, wild story with those around us. Friends, however you're connecting to this message today, on the radio, on Facebook, here in this sanctuary, Or because this video showed up on your recommended videos list in the year 2027. We who are worshiping together across time and space are gathered as a group of unqualified, overwhelmed, unlikely 
disciples, but we are called by God. We are called to be his children, called to be his people. I don't know why God chooses those that he does. I don't know why God chose me. I don't know why God is choosing you. We are sinful and broken and foolish and forgetful and selfish and crude and largely untalented. And that's just the list about me. I can't see why God would choose us. But he did. He does. As unlikely as it seems, God has promised you a place in his home forever. A place that you will experience most clearly when he raises you from the dead. And a place that you can savor even now by faith. And in the meantime, this same God has given us work to do. Sometimes in places that don't seem to make a lot of sense to you and to me. For whatever endeavor you've been called, God has called you to it. As unlikely as a candidate you think you are, right? if God can change the world through fishermen and tax collectors, he can change your heart and your world through you. Right? May the peace of Christ be with you, and may God bless you in your following and in your fishing. In the name of Christ. Amen.